Hello, and welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to hit the follow button. Also, give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy today's episode. All right. Hello, listeners. First and foremost, Brianna is back co-hosting with us today. Yay. Hello. Yay. She's back in the room. Very exciting. But today, as an extension of Women's History Month, we wanted to go ahead and just kind of have a candid conversation and highlight an amazing woman whose research and wisdom has changed, I think, both of our lives tremendously. Absolutely. I try to educate everybody on Brene Brown, and if they don't know about her, I try to always get people invested in looking into all of her work. So yes, we're going to be talking about the incomparable Brene Brown today. We're going to go ahead and share some of our favorite pieces of her research, her inspiration, some moments from her talks that have kind of spoken to us. And if you haven't heard of her, we are so happy you are here and learning about her with us today. So I think Bree's going to go ahead and start off and just sharing some of her favorite Brene Brown content. Yes, so happy to be back here on the podcast. I've definitely missed it. And this is the perfect episode to jump into. Mm-hmm. I think this was my idea to create this one. Um, you know, Sarah, she's been on the podcast a couple times. She'll joke that anytime anyone in our like work circle asks about who we want to bring in as a guest speaker and things like that. It's kind of the running joke that I'm always going to bring up Brene Brown because (laughs) I always do. (laughs) Someday I will see her in person. We'll put it out there into the universe so that that can go ahead and manifest itself that I will see her in person at some point. Let's put into the universe as well that she will one day be a guest on our podcast. Stop it. Let's manifest that. <laughs> I want to just enter that into the manifestation ring there, okay. you know? Okay. Yeah. She'll be, she'll be on it. one day. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't actually put this in the notes because I purposefully wanted to surprise you with this note, Lisa. Um, but you are actually the person who introduced me to Brene Brown. I don't know if you knew that. I love that. <laughs> love that for you and me, but did not know that. Yeah, one of the first times we worked together at La Violence Free, you came down and you were telling me all the things about um, the youth programming that you were doing, and you had mentioned her name just casually, expecting me to know her, and I didn't. And so it was a full stop at that point, like, hold on. (laughs) Wait a minute. We cannot go any further (laughs) into our other content because we need to establish a foundation of who Brene Brown is and why she's important in your life. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm so happy we did, you know? Oh, me too. Because ever since then, I mean, now I'm known as the Brene Brown, just, I don't know what to call me, super fan. <laughs> it's easy to become with her, you know? I feel like so many people, they, they find out who she is, they listen to some of her work, and they're like, oh my god. You know, it's it's life-changing. It really is. For sure. For sure. So getting into some of her work, a lot of her work is around vulnerability. And I actually, just a few minutes before we hopped on, I re-listened to her TED Talks just to prepare myself for this conversation. And she was talking about how after her first TED Talk, 
when she was really vulnerable and she said that she had a breakdown while she was doing some of her research and that the morning after she gave that TED talk, she felt like she was in a vulnerability hangover and she couldn't, she could not believe that she had just told 500 people that she had a breakdown. Like she was supposed to be this academic and this person who was wanting to gain respect on this stage and in her field. And she couldn't believe that she admitted that to 500 people. Right. And she said, if that grows to like 800 or a thousand people, that she was just going to absolutely not know how to handle that. Yeah. Well, pretty soon that was 4 million and she had no no plan for that. <laughs> no contingency plan for 4 million. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And so this was something that she didn't intentionally set out to research, but in her other research, it kept just smacking her in the face of this is what you need to look into. Mm-hmm. And so she talks about the definition of vulnerability and how it is essential for being brave. Um, you can't numb hard feelings without numbing all of the other feelings. And so mm-hmm. talking about that just a little bit more, she was talking about how the current uh, kind of middle-aged people in society is by far the most overly medicated and addicted and depressed um, generation that we've ever seen. And right. so she was talking about how those folks have gotten this habit of numbing the hard feelings with all of those unhealthy coping mechanisms And what that does in turn is that numbs the good feelings. And so we're medicating ourselves to not feel the bad, but it's withholding us from feeling the good. And so a part of being vulnerable and how it makes you brave is that you have to really lean into those hard feelings. You have to go there. You have to have the hard conversations Mm -hmm. and you have to feel like you have that vulnerability hangover the next day because it's how you then can conversely experience the joy and all the good feelings that come in life. Right. She says that it is essential to wholehearted living. Vulnerability is the birthplace of innovation, creativity, and change. So like I was saying, you really can't have all of those great things without first having that vulnerability and without having that ability to admit your mistakes show up as your full and whole person in each and every space you're in. So I think this research is so groundbreaking because it really shows what we can do to change and how we can really get to that place where we are creative and we are being innovative. Mm -hmm. It's so important to look at it from this perspective and it's absolutely science, you know, she's wanting to be this academic who has this great reputation um, for doing all this great research. And it really is science when it comes down to it. She found in the research that this was common that this was true for a very wide variety of people, really everyone, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely everyone. And I love too. I think it's in that, um, that same kind of conversation during that talk. And she starts off 
and asks everybody in the crowd. And she says, how many of you associate vulnerability with weakness? And she's like, and, and be honest and raise your hand. And, and she also jokes, she's like, and I will outweigh you. Like I'm a, I'm a trained therapist, so I can outweigh the uncomfortable silences. <laughs> so like, be honest, raise your hand, participate. And a lot of people put their hand up. And then she also asks, you know, like, this is a TED talk. There's a lot of people getting up here and like being vulnerable and sharing, right? Sharing their ideas and all these different topics. And she said, so how many of you also thought that the vulnerability like here on the TED stage was absolute courage and almost everybody raised their hand. And it's, mm-hmm. it's absolutely true. I, I don't know where like society got the idea that being authentic, being wholeheartedly yourself, allowing yourself to be vulnerable is a sign of weakness because there's, to me, there's no other greater strength and like an, an act of courage than doing that. Right. Um, and I also, I love that you mentioned the vulnerability hangover because my first time seeing that and hearing her say that, like I had like a movie style, like flashes in my mind of all these different experiences I had. And then the flood of that vulnerability hangover of like, Oh my God, like, what did I do? Why did I say that? Why did I put myself mm-hmm. out there like that? And I was like, that is just so relatable to me, you know, like that, that whole feeling of the vulnerability hangover. Um, but it, it is, it, it could be, I think, really, really difficult to allow yourself to be courageous and, and be vulnerable and to share things, you know, and especially in a world where judging people is so prevalent, and people are really good at judging other people, I think, you know, and we're going to kind of like talk about that a little bit later here as well. Um, but yeah, so it's absolutely a strength. And I, I love that we started off there. We have to, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it really is. It's kind of like one of the keystones of her work. And, you know, mm-hmm. so again, she's a researcher for any listeners out there that are like, okay, but like, what does this woman do? Um, she is a researcher. Because <laughs> <laughs> like Brie and I like love her. We feel like we know her up, down, left, right, sideways. But <laughs> she is a researcher. Um, and she started off in the field kind of doing other things. And then like Brie mentioned, kind of found her way to researching vulnerability, researching shame, and essentially researching like how we connect and disconnect as people. And it's absolutely fascinating. Mm -hmm. She's been doing it for quite a long time. So like we mentioned, this is science, it's evidence based, these are things that have been tested, um, but just really, really fascinating work. But she also has talked a lot about empathy versus sympathy. And she has a really fantastic little segment, a little clip. Um, and P.S., everything we're talking about, too, is going to be linked down in the description so you can watch the full TED Talks and have access to all of her work materials. Um, but this little clip I'm speaking to, the empathy versus sympathy, they actually made, like, a really great cartoon around it. So it's, like, her audio clip explaining this and a really, really well-done cartoon. But the thing I really liked about this was how accessible, it made that whole topic. Um, Because I think especially talking to younger people, because we introduced this in our program through Live Violence Free in the middle school as part of our middle school education program. And I always showed this video, because we talked a lot about, you know, like bullying in that class and, and things like that, and the importance of empathy. And you know, through no fault of their own and no like ill intent, there was a lot of young kids that I think like really, they just did not understand the difference. Like I'm sympathizing with them. 
okay, but what does it look like to empathize with somebody? And where are maybe the limitations just having sympathy versus empathy, right? Or what are the, the positives behind being an empathetic person if someone really needs that? And some of the, I think, best takeaways from that um, is first and foremost that empathy fuels connection and sympathy drives disconnection. And that really, like, as soon as I kind of heard that the first time and, you know, she goes on to explain it a little bit deeper, um, it just, things just really clicked for me in that moment. And especially like in how to explain that, especially again to younger people, um, you know, because she talks about how empathy, it's feeling with people, right? Sympathy, you're feeling sorry for someone or you're feeling for someone else, right? Maybe that um, that reaction of like, oh man, that sucks, right? Like if you, if you tell someone something big happened or something bad, they're like, wow, that really sucks. Sorry. That's like a, a sympathetic kind of um, reaction to that. But when you're empathetic, if someone tells you something really difficult, it's finding a place in yourself that has felt something relative and accessing that. So you can say like, that must be really hard. Or I've been in a similar place and I know that that's really challenging. And part of the the issue with that for a lot of people is that vulnerable choice, right, of allowing yourself to feel those feelings because they can be really difficult. They can bring up a lot of hard memories or tough memories. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, just hearing that the first time and again, showing that to kids, um, I think was really, really successful because it allowed them to understand that on a much, much deeper level. And a lot of us, I think, we got really caught up in that, right? Especially like if we're growing up in households that don't maybe communicate the best or don't offer very empathetic advice, like we see that kind of sympathetic consoling of somebody, we think that's effective, we think we're doing the right thing. And again, no bad intent there. Um, but just knowing how much more we can impact someone in a good way, or help someone out and be there with them and, and help them just navigate the situations they're in. I just think, like, that's just such priceless information to have. Yeah, I love that video. I have not only brought it up in a staff meeting recently, mm -hmm. but there was also a training that I was in where we were talking about uh, having empathy as a strength. Mm -hmm. And I was talking about how if empathy isn't like a natural strength for somebody, that it is a skill that you can work on. And so someone disagreed with me and said that um, they didn't think empathy could be developed as a, as a skill. It was something that you have either been through the same thing and so you can feel that for somebody or you just can't understand where they're coming from. And so mm. I pulled that video out of my back pocket. Like, Wait a minute. <laughs> I have receipts. <laughs> exactly. And so I, I brought that video and that person was able to understand exactly what you said. If you can identify with the feeling of what they might be feeling, mm -hmm. we're not gonna, there's not a world where we work with someone and we've been through the exact same things that they have been through. That's right. literally not possible. Even if we've both experienced domestic violence, it's going to be completely different. Mm -hmm. So that's where empathy comes in is because we can relate to how they are saying they're feeling. If we have felt something similar to that, that's where we relate. Yeah. So there's that 
great video we talked about on um, empathy that we're going to show. Another medium of Brene Brown content that I will be speaking a lot about today because I've been infiltrating my life with it recently is her podcasts. Mm -hmm. And so I actually just finished listening to the episode where she interviews President Barack Obama. Yeah, Brene Brown is big. I'm telling you people, Mm -hmm. like if you have not done the deep dive, you're about to. So she was talking with him about the tension of duality. And so this is really where you have these two things that feel like they should be conflicting, but really both these things can be true. And it's more of a, it's described as like a yes and. And so they were talking about um, different things that came up throughout his leadership journey, um, things like balancing work life and home life and how we balance that, that just both things can be true. And I actually have a personal story about this that I think really describes that. And so I was just kind of providing some um, support to a friend who is in recovery from alcohol, and they were going through this really stressful move um, out of their current house, and they were really upset that some of their other friends had set strong boundaries that they weren't going to be able to be there to help her move today. And she was really upset that those people weren't able to be there to help her move, but at the same time respected that those boundaries were being upheld because being in recovery, that's something that she had learned and come to respect. And so she was really having trouble navigating that. And I (laughs) pulled Brene Brown from my back pocket and I said, both these things can be true. You can respect them for holding that boundary of not being here. And you can be really upset that they're not here to help you. Both those things can be true. You can feel all the feelings from both of those things. And that's okay. You don't have to choose one. That's okay. So I think that's a really, uh, just from a personal example, that's my... um, my way of understanding that tension of duality of we don't have to choose one. These things can both work in conjunction together. Yeah. And I'm like thinking to myself as you're saying that, like, and this is something I'm even like asking kind of like internally to myself, but why do we as people like need it to be one way or the other in situations like that? Like, why do I have to be okay with it or I have to be upset? You know, like I feel like a lot of us kind of, juggle that feeling of something comes up like similar to that situation, right? Or someone lets us down or anything in life happens. And we're having those conflicting feelings. Like I respect the decision they made, but I don't like it. And I'm upset or whatever reasons are behind it. And I know for me, like, I don't know what it is about myself, but sometimes like I I even start to get down on myself, you know, if I do have those little kind of negative feelings crop up, you know, we'll we'll get over it and it's fine. And you understand what they're going, you know, like all that kind of comes into play. But it's just fascinating, you know, because I feel like I'm probably not alone in that. Um, kind of wondering, like, why does it have to be one way or the other? Like, why can't I acknowledge it can be both things at the same time, I can be happy and still upset about it, you know, but just what a what a common human feeling, though, right? Like, I, I think that's especially around like the issues of jealousy. Sometimes we can feel that way. We could be really happy for someone at the same time. 
you know, it could bring up some pretty like sad feelings for us. Like, oh, I wish I was at that stage or I wish that was happening for me. And that whole push and pull, right? Of like dealing, Mm -hmm. dealing with that and trying to like shut one side off. I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. That's another great example. Yeah. Um, Something else that I really like that she talks about, um, because I think that was a really good one, like that, that tension of duality. Um, In another talk she does, you know, because again, she researches vulnerability, but she also researches shame, which is such a fascinating thing to learn more about because I feel like shame is this icky thing that we shove away somewhere else or we feel shame and we deal with it in private, right? Because we don't want other people to know that we have those feelings or something came up to give us those feelings. But like hearing about it more, um, just really, really interesting. But she talks about how shame destroys connection, and I so identified with that and, and learning about that, especially for the first time. And it made me kind of think about myself and the way that sometimes I've dealt with things in the past, right? And it's something I still work on, but a lot of me dealing with like really difficult things, especially some things that for whatever reason, one way or another, I did feel some kind of shame about, my usual go-to was kind of like hiding away or just dealing with it internally. I would kind of back up and... I'm introverted regardless. I would like to say I'm a sometimes very extroverted introvert where like I need that, you know, introvert time. But yeah, especially with difficult things, I would I would retreat a little bit and I wouldn't want anyone else to see. I, I would want to try my hardest, even when sometimes I wasn't good at it or successful. Like I wanted to just deal with those things on my own. Um, and she says this really perfect quote for the, I think that feeling in general but she goes on to say, you know, like, if what if other people know or see this about me? Like, I I might not be worthy of connection, right? If other people knew or understood this about me. And I think deep down, that is, it's so human. It's so relatable. Because I, I imagine we've all been there at one point or another, right? Where we have felt ashamed of something we felt ashamed of a decision or something that we're doing or just anything going on in our lives and that immediate thought that creeps up for most people is like I have to hide this away because god forbid if someone knew this about me or if you know they they understood this feeling or what I did or what I'm going through they wouldn't be able to connect with me anymore and then I also kind of cycle that right and I go back to that vulnerability piece because thinking about the times in my life where I've hid away and tried to like shove those feelings down or deal with them myself or distance myself from others so they didn't see that side of me that felt shame, the second I brought that to somebody that I trusted um, and, and talked about those things, ironically, I've never felt more connected to someone else than those moments where I've shared those things. And I thought about... exactly that conundrum, right? Like, and I'm sure you've probably been there as well, right? At some time or another. Um, But just a really, really fascinating thing to think about and how shame really drives a lot of our decisions some of the time um, and dictates, I think, a lot about how we feel worthy and how we feel worthy in connection. Yeah. Speaking of sharing with someone and how much you can connect with someone else, another part about Brene's work is that she is also a storyteller and she yes 
self-identifies as a storyteller. Uh, when I said earlier, like she wants to be this academic, you know, I, I would say that because in one of her talks, she was saying that someone wanted to write her description or bio as uh, Brene Brown, a storyteller, and she felt like that was not honoring her <laughs> Her mm -hmm. academic her years of research. Yes. <laughs> but it really is a part of who she is and a part of what makes her work um, so outstanding is because she takes in account someone's whole life. Yeah. Uh, again, talking about the podcast, I said I was going to reference it a bunch today. The first question that she asks her guests is, tell me your story. And it is fascinating to hear even some of these guests that I might have already been kind of familiar with their work before they came on the podcast to hear where they grew up and what happened to them and where they are now, how that led them to getting into the work that they do now. It's fascinating and it makes so much sense when you look at their life. It's like, of course you're doing this now. Mm -hmm. And you never really would have come to that conclusion unless they were vulnerable and opened up about their own story and how that plays into who they are. So I love that she has that aspect of her work because Again, it's something that we can all learn from and we can all be informed from is everybody has their story that they're showing up with mm -hmm. and we need to make sure that we're taking that into account when we're working with them in any capacity. Right. She's so authentic too. You know, I think that's the other, yes. the other best yes. part about her authentic. She's hilarious as well. Like if you listen to right. her talks, like you're going to be chuckling, you're going to be enjoying it. You're going to be just feeling like you can connect and really take in her information because she doesn't deliver it like I, I think some people might think a typical researcher would mm -hmm. she makes it so accessible and it's just it's so it's so easy and it's in that storytelling format yeah another thing about how she talks and how she delivers her content the way that she responds when someone tells her something I feel like myself personally someone will be telling me something and I'll get in this cycle of saying like, wow, oh, oh, really? Oh, wow. Oh, that's mm -hmm. amazing. Oh, that's great. Oh, thank you for sharing. You know, I'll kind of respond with those short little phrases. You tell Brene something amazing or wow, and she'll respond with something like, what you just said has been really transformational in how I think about this topic now. Mm -hmm. And it's like, okay, that was the appropriate response. That's so much better than what Brie would have said. Like, wow. Like, yeah. I'm guilty I, of that as well. Yeah. <laughs> I strive to have more Brene responses in my everyday life of that really made an impact on me. And here's how it made an impact. And I, every time I listen to the way that she talks with other people, I'm like, okay, write that one down. That's the way to respond to people. But even if you right. write it down, you have to keep a running list of them because it's not like she uses the same one mm -hmm. over and over. It's like however she responds to people, it gives way to further and deeper discussion. And I think that is such a right. talent that I don't know if that can be taught. I hope I can teach myself how to do that. <laughs> Yeah, honestly, I mean, she's the queen of connection. She really is. Mm -hmm. And so it makes all the sense in the world that that's so organic for her to 
be able to tap into that and utilize that. But yeah, you know, I, I definitely feel guilty of that as well. There's been so many times, even if in my head, I'm like, wow, right? Or like having that aha moment. It's just for whatever reason. And you know what, honestly, like, just for funsies, since we're kind of on the topic, I'm like, maybe there's a part of vulnerability in that too, right? Right. Going to that place of being like, what you just said has had such a profound impact on me. But that could be maybe a little more scary, or maybe we'll have to talk about that further, right? Maybe that's something I don't want to talk about when I could just say, mm-hmm. wow, <laughs> right? And that <laughs> that's that so might, true. Not be, might not be the right answer, but just something, again, coming up as we're having this, this whole vulnerability conversation. But again, I'm very, very guilty of that. And something I think, yeah, being, especially as podcasters, our best interest to you know, work on and try to be a little bit more Brene Brown with our, with our authentic reactions to the things we learn on here. Right. Yeah. Listeners, if you start to hear more Brene Brown uh, (laughs) reactions to our guests, then you know, we're doing our homework. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And you know, the impact that woman has had on us, you know? (laughs) Yes. Yeah. The, the podcast, I'm doing a deep dive on them right now because I, I think I went a while not knowing the podcast existed and I'm trying to forgive myself for that. But now <laughs> I'm going through and making sure that I didn't miss any, that I'm, I'm, I've listened to all of them. So I love to listen to podcasts when I'm doing mundane housework. Mm-hmm. Uh, every time I do laundry now, it's like I hear Brene's voice in my head because it's just the habit that right. I do now. And it makes me look forward to doing that task now because I'm like, ooh, this is my Brene Brown time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, she has two podcasts. They are on Spotify. So one is called Unlocking Us and the other is called Dare to Lead. So she has episodes with, like I said, Barack Obama. There's also episodes with marriage experts and home designers, which you're like, okay, what does that have to do with Brene Brown's work? Oh, she will tell you. (laughs) And the way that she dives into people's stories and how they make an impact on the world, it's like everybody relates to Brene Brown's work because it's just, it's how we go about our lives that she researches. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So of course, it's all going to intersect, even if it doesn't feel on the surface that it makes sense to have a home designer on her podcast. It does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's interviewed a couple of Netflix show creators, and I then became obsessed with those Netflix shows. Of course, authors and leaders, there's so much content on there. If if you found our podcast before you found Brene Brown's <laughs> Please let us know how that mm-hmm. happened. We would love to um, further that outreach method that made that happen. But now that you've been exposed to her, please go and fill your life with more of her. I really think that this world will be a better place when more of us live in the way that she has researched and said that we should live. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, taking the time, I think, to take the wisdom in that she has it really does like it creates a profound impact one way or another Um, and I think that's different for everybody I think obviously too like people are at different places in their lives how they present themselves how they deal with shame how they allow themselves to be vulnerable but regardless even if you're 
the most vulnerable person in the world who isn't afraid to like face shame head on when they're feeling it. I think even those people could still learn a great deal from her, you know, so absolutely check out her podcast. It's fantastic. I will just gently mention again, I'm going to have everything linked below in the description. Um, I didn't put direct links to the podcast, but I actually linked uh, her website, which you can go on and find both of her podcasts, um, as well as books, all these other things. So just putting that out there, once you finish this episode, yeah, we think you should just go right over, just pop on a Brene Brown podcast, it'll make your day better. I want to move back to some of her talks, because I think that's where my heart lies. And I, I want to say a big reason for that is because her TED Talks um, were the first pieces of her work that I got to hear. And I think they had, you know, just the biggest impact on me for it being the first time and kind of getting just hit in the face with this incredible information that was super transformative for me at the time. But she does have a talk. I want to say the name of it might be your critics aren't the ones who count. Um, again, it'll be below if you want to watch it. But that's at least the crux of the entire talk if that's not the appropriate TED Talk title. But she's talking a lot about, you know, the criticism we give to ourselves and the criticism that we take from others and then apply it to our lives or apply limitations to our lives because of the supposed, right, or the predicted criticism that we're going to get. And super, super powerful talk. Another one that I loved showing to my high schoolers, because even though it was like a little bit long, too, for like showing in a high school class, I was like, worth every second and like kids don't want to watch a video in the middle of class so they were always fully fully invested um but one of the one of the first things she talks about that i really loved and, and especially for young people right going through those vulnerable stages and living a lot of their lives on social media she's talking about reading negative comments and referencing this i think you know to reading her own negative comments since she became big and you know people were watching her ted talks and she's now all over youtube and she says, imagine what you would try if you knew people would never have a negative comment for you. So like, just imagine like what you would, how you'd put yourself out there, what you would do, what, what you would try and accomplish if you knew there was like no chance for that backlash. And thinking about that, again, especially in a world in today's day and age of like a lot of social media interaction. And again, a lot of people who are really good at being judgmental and then get a lot of validation and like a lot of props and a lot of clout for being very judgmental. You know, I think, I think we would see a completely different landscape of, you know, first off the internet, but just like kind of the world in general, if we thought like, Hey, I'm just going to try this. And it doesn't even matter. I don't have to be successful in the first try, right? I can kind of do that failing upwards, right? Where, okay, well, at least I tried it. I can troubleshoot. I'll go back. Like, I just think about how many, yeah, how many differences I think in just what we attempt for ourselves and how we put ourselves out there if we didn't feel like that was the biggest risk, right, was receiving, receiving those negative comments and, and how that would impact us. Um, and she talks a lot about, too, how, like, those negative things, those negative comments that she was getting that really, you know, personally attacked her and talking about, like, her needing Botox and all these these nasty, nasty comments – but she says, you know, negative things, they inspire you to stay small and hidden. Because again, even like Brie mentioned, right? She was so worried about that TED Talk. What if 800 people see it? And mm -hmm. geez, little did she know it was like millions of people <laughs> that ended up seeing it. Um, but she was inspired to stay very small. 
she was afraid of the criticism. She was afraid of putting herself out there in that way and, and having the availability of that negative feedback. And I think a lot of us might be caught up in that when it comes to not only our social media presence, but just how we go through the world, maybe showing up at work or showing up for other people or just attempting things that we think, hey, I might be good at this, or I may be able to create something with this. And it's just, it's unfortunate to think about, right? Like how many people keep themselves in our comfortable little box, in our comfortable little space, because although we may have desire to do something differently or create, innovate, whatever it is, it's a lot scarier outside of that cozy little box, right? Because there is all of that negative feedback that can come in. And she kind of sums all of this up with, I will say, one of the best quotes that I have heard when it comes to like self-empowerment and, and kind of negating that whole, you know, negative impact that comments and judgment can have. But she talks about how she heard this quote at the right time. And I just want to stop there and just say like, that makes, that made so much sense to me when she said, you know, like when a quote finds you at the right time, because it's, mm-hmm. I've heard all sorts of amazing quotes but there's ones that I'm just in that perfect space in life or of the day or whatever it is. And it just actually sinks in. I don't just hear it one ear out the other. Like it really does change something in me. Um, and ironically, this quote, when she said it during the talk the first time, yeah, it was one of those that like I had heard it at the perfect time as well. But she quotes Theodore Roosevelt and it's from his uh, Man in the Arena speech as it's been titled. And the quote is, It's not the critic who counts. It's not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done it better. The credit belongs to the man who's in the arena, whose face is marred with blood, sweat, and dust, who at the best, in the end, knows the triumph of high achievement, and who at worst, if he fails, does so daring greatly. I was so floored by that the first time hearing it. Um, And of course, too, she then follows it up saying, and you know what, if you're not in the arena, also getting your butt kicked, also your face is dirtied up from the blood, sweat and tears, I am not interested in your feedback. And just like, if you could see me right now, I'm doing the little like mind blown, you know, (laughs) little action there. But honestly, because so many of us, so many of us do that. We allow people who have no idea who we are, what we've been through, what our experiences have been, or how, like, they don't get to see how hard we've tried or how far we've come. And when we mm-hmm. do something, so true. we let, you know, the people up in the cheap seats yell down and say, like, not good enough. And we take that, right? We start that whole trajectory of I'm not whatever enough. And I think so many of us, myself included, so many times, right, have fallen victim to that. And again, going back to, we keep ourselves small at that point. But instead, like, that's, that's really powerful to think about, you know, if you really, it's almost like setting a boundary, you know, like, if you really allow yourself to say, like, hey, listen, um, you don't know what it's like down here. I get it. It's easy for you, again, up there in those cheap seats to look down and say like, oh, man, that wasn't good. But until you're in it, you don't know. I feel like that's the moment, 
like have you ever been watching have you ever been watching the olympics even though like you're at home on your couch with like a bag of cheeses you're watching the olympics and you're like mm, nope did not stick that landing that's gonna be a seven right like we're there judging like first off and i'm talking about myself right now too maybe other people have done this but i'm like i'm sitting there judging having a good old time like i don't know what the hell i'd be doing like could I, am i even physically capable of an eighth of what they're doing out there no but what I'm good at is being on my couch and being like oh man that wasn't good oh gosh that was an ugly ugly routine like it's just hilarious how you know and then not like I'm saying those athletes then hear me at home and then take that information and do whatever with it but it's like we all have criticism for other people even when we have no idea mm-hmm. but allowing yourself to fuel from that and again keep yourself limited or in your little box or afraid to go out and try again like that's the hard part and I think having that kind of Brene Brown energy about it like if you're not down here I don't care what you have to say like if it's constructive feedback great that's one thing love that we can always improve but if it's empty criticism I do not even give you the power the energy or the time of day to let that affect me and I think that's something that a lot of people really need to let that kind of seep in, you know, and, and understand that because we do live in a pretty judgy little culture sometimes. And the more, the more we can break out of that, just the absolute better. Yeah. Lisa, when you were talking about the first time you had listened to the talks, it made me think of another one of Brene's uh, great creations, I guess. Um, So it's called an FFT. Have you heard of those, Lisa? Mm -mm. Enlighten me. Okay. So an FFT is an effing first time. (laughs) So it's the understanding that the first time you go through something, there's going to be this range of like, I don't know what I'm doing. This sucks. Why did I even start this? Right. Um, So not that that's what you were talking about, but when you just said first time, it made me think of Um, I guess a concept is what we can call it of the FFTs. Mm. And so I think she was even talking about, um, oh, it was when COVID started and everyone was in an FFT with how do we go about this? And just acknowledging that of, hey, none of us have ever lived through a pandemic before. We're Mm. all in an FFT. So let's slowly (laughs) figure this out together. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It's a new uh, phrase that you can use to make yourself feel better. <laughs> Thanks, I'm going to be using that. Yeah. No. And I, I love that. Um, and I think that's also like a pretty good way to kind of remind ourselves, not only because it's it adds some humor and some levity, right, to some situations, but at the same time, I think it allows us to be a little bit more gentle with ourselves. Mm-hmm. And maybe with others too, right? Like we don't have that expectation, like, no, I needed to figure this out. No, it's the effing first time, man, you know, like, this is where we're at. This is the information we have. This is how we're going to go about it. And, you know, again, none of those, none of those negative feelings, right around that. So love that. But I think it's a great time right now. I mean, this has been, I I feel empowered just talking about Brene Brown, for God's sakes, Mm -hmm. like she really does have that kind of power. But we want to keep this going a little bit. Um, And, you know, we, we always talk about self-care, 
Brene Brown and her work, I think a lot of it, yeah, kind of comes back to taking care of ourselves, right? And treating ourselves well. And so perfect time to move into our little meditation piece today. And this is going to be pretty simple, uh, but a little self-empowerment meditation to kind of round out this whole conversation. So if you are available right now to take on this meditation at this time, I encourage you to get into a comfortable position somewhere you can just be and breathe and relax, whatever that looks like for you. And once you're in that space, I want you to either close your eyes or find a point of focus in the room. And I want you to start taking our meditative breath. So deep breath in through your nose and out through your mouth. And just start to find a pattern with this rhythmic breathing. Make your inhales the same length as your exhales. And let this breath work just become effortless. Cycling, breathing in and out. And start to scan your body at this moment. Recognize if you have any points of tension, if you're holding on to stress in any part of your body. And with those exhales, I want you to send your breath to that space. every exhale just let your body sink a little bit deeper into that relaxation so now on your next couple breath cycles I want you to breathe in power and exhale self-doubt and whatever that looks like for you you can think about something that makes you feel powerful or simply repeat the word in your head. And exhale anything that gives you self-doubt. Or think about that word itself. And now with your next couple inhales and exhales, I want you to celebrate a victory you've had. This could be big or small and insignificant, but whatever has made you feel victorious. Really focus on that and focus on the emotions that are brought up for you. And with our last couple breath cycles, I want you to acknowledge some times that you've showed up for yourself. These can be in good moments or in difficult moments. 
and really give yourself some gratitude for showing up. And on your next inhale, I want you to take a big breath in, expand your lungs, and release a big exhale out. Really let go. And again, a big breath in, fill your lungs all the way, and hold for two. And a big exhale out, let it go. And if you're ready to come on back, I encourage you just to go back to your normal breathing. Start to make any adjustments or little stretches or movements. Wiggle your fingers and toes. Flutter open your eyes if you closed them. And I hope you enjoyed that little moment of self-care at the end of this lovely conversation. Thank you for that, Lisa. I definitely tilted my head back and just mm -hmm. fully, <laughs> fully embraced that one. You sunk right in. I love that. <laughs> we are going to have so much Brene Brown content linked below so you can fully dive into all of her incredible work and hopefully become equally, if not more, obsessed than we are, which good luck achieving that level. <laughs> There's TED Talks, uh, there's a link to her books, podcasts, and more. So please check them out. Lisa, any last thoughts you have for today? I think we've been looking forward to this episode for a while. Oh, so long. Um, and I think like what a fantastic person to highlight at the end of Women's History Month. I'm excited. I hope there's people out there that have just been introduced to her and can embark on this journey because again, regardless of who you are, it's definitely going to be a transformative one. And we just so hope that you enjoy it. And lastly, um, again, we're putting it for the universe. Brene, if you're listening, if you can contact oh us, we would love to schedule you. So <laughs> just let us know. Uh, we know you're a busy woman when you're like, you know, talking with Oprah and, you know, Barack Obama, but just let us know your availability because we're putting it out there in the mm -hmm. universe that one day she'll be on the pod. So yeah, reach out, Brene. We love you. <laughs> she does do, I think, somewhere in the ballpark of 50% of her talks are pro bono um, to help out her peeps. So hey, Brene, okay. we are your peeps. <laughs> and this is going back to like, imagine the things you would do if you think you weren't going to have the negative feedback, True. right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So um, I'm going to be putting that in practice just so you know. <laughs> I like it. I like it. All right. We just want to thank all of our listeners out there for joining us today. Thank you so much for listening to us, Fangirl. And we hope you will join us for our next conversation.